Well, thank you very much for coming, and um, thank you for inviting me, Jeremy and George and Jonathan. I really appreciate it. A uh, bit of a fish out of water here, I feel like, in some ways. Um, you might have noticed there's not a lot about statistics, which is what I'm going to talk about tonight in my introduction. There's not a lot about being a libertarian in my introduction. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot more about maybe tromping around fields and um, looking at plants. So I kind of find myself in this funny spot where I, I want to talk about this because I think it's something that's important for us to think about as Christians, uh, especially Christians involved, many of us in the liberal arts, many of us interested in libertarian ideas. And um, I sort of want to open it up as that the thesis or the um, ideas that I'm presenting tonight, ideas that are sort of forming and nascent in my mind, <clears throat> and that I don't have a super strong attachment to in some ways, and so I'm open to debate them. Um, and I would like this con to sort of start a conversation around them here. Um, if you got, well, just quickly, show of hands, who actually got to read the abstracts? Look at that. The, the diligent few, right? <laughs> so, um, okay, great. So I'll just sort of start off by um, reading what I would say is, is what I'm going to try and defend tonight, and then uh, we can work out from there. So the statement I'm sort of trying to defend is tertiary education institutions seeking to cultivate such cultural leadership, um, basically um, in a liberal arts fashion is what I'm referring to there, should carefully consider including statistical methods as core curriculum. So <clears throat> I'm arguing that we need to start thinking about including a sort of quantitative reasoning or statistical methods as part of the curriculum that would not just be um, an elective, which is what I taught at New St. Andrews, but would actually be core every student's getting this coming through. <clears throat> so, and it's really intimidating because I actually see some previous students in, in the room here, so um, that, that makes this even more frightening, right? <clears throat> so, and what brought this to my attention was the um, uh, sort of the COVID-19 pandemic, actually, and, and watching the way that Christians particularly handled that. I'm, since I'm addressing a Christian audience here, I'm not going to address what have been, might have been issues on that we would have seen from public health officials or from uh, the scientific community that I would consider myself to be a part of, but <clears throat> uh, inside the church. And something that was really discouraging to me during that time was that on social media and in personal interactions with many Christians, I saw a carelessness with data and data interpretation um, that was sort of alarming to me. <clears throat> and I think it is, is coming out of a, a um, no desire to be uh, misleading uh, on the part of the Christians, many of whom I know and respect, uh, but it's really coming out of more of a position of um, maybe not understanding exactly what they were talking about, right? So, and that's why this argument for, okay, let's think about increasing education here around some of these ideas. <clears throat> and, and we can get into some of these. If you're really interested, I was like, I went back last night and read through some old social media threads from 2020, you know, um, <laughs> And, and copied over some comments and threads into PowerPoint. I'm not wanting to throw anybody under the bus, um, <clears throat> but, but if you, I can redact names and um, at some future day, if you're really interested in seeing what I saw um, firsthand and what, what's kind of bugged me, um, maybe I'd love to interact with you over a beer on that one. Um, 
But there were there were some real simple errors, uh, things having to do with you know what what constitutes causation um, versus correlation and and things like that. Um, looking and not understanding that we have ways to quantify error in in um, in, in the field of statistics and understanding really variability in the data that in in the natural world there's a lot of variation and so that's kind of what where, where I'm speaking from in this so I'm not a statistician that's that's one of the things I want I want to say here I use statistics every day as a researcher because we rely on it in in my field it is it is how we make inferences about how plants might grow that that that's what we do so um, I practice it a lot Timothy Dr. Nadri sitting back uses far more sophisticated techniques um, than I use, I'm sure. Um, Brian Points probably uses more sophisticated techniques. Um, but it's underlying a lot of these fields. So <clears throat> getting back to my thesis, I want to just basically work through some definitions and use those definitions then um, and hopefully um, make sure that we're on the same page with a number of different things and then move forward into sort of my arguments for why we include this in uh, Christian tertiary education. Um, first crucial, we'll start with the really easy stuff, right? Defined as something that's necessary to complete the mission. And so then what is the mission of Christian education? And I'm no expert on Christian education, so I just took this straight off a local liberal arts college website. Um, <laughs> and it says, to equip students to lead our culture faithfully as the servants of all through excellence in the arts, letters, sciences, businesses, business, government, the church, and all lawful vocations which um, after listening to Dr. McIntosh, there's a lot of lawful vocations probably <laughs> following that, um, that discussion, which was really enjoyable. Okay, so I, I purposely have stayed away from using liberal arts as um, what I'm, I'm talking about here because uh, you can really quickly you know, get into a discussion of do we want to stick with the quadrivium or the trivium or, or kind of um, that aspect of things. And I want to stick focused to this this mission or this this goal, and that's why I'm using sort of this um, definition of general tertiary Christian education rather than saying liberal arts. As I understand, liberal arts can have some sticky definitions, and there are people that have written way more about what liberal arts are in this room than I have. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Okay, the, the third thing to define then is is statistics and in sort of reviewing this topic with some of my STEM friends, actually, they've challenged me to not um, think of this as so limited to statistics, but to think of it as more broadly sort of maybe like quantitative, quantitative reasoning or something, I say Brian um, nodding his head. So <clears throat> I might refine this um, thesis after this to say something like quantitative reasoning is, is, a, is a more appropriate um, word than what, I'm, what I was originally getting to. So, but I do want to launch into this definition of statistics and first just some rote definitions. Um, <clears throat> so here's, um, well here was, let me find my spot. Uh, yeah, Oxford Learners um, Dictionary here. The science of collecting and analyzing statistics is statistics. So right, that's a little bit confusing. Um, <clears throat> And then this is from Britannica uh, Statistics, the science of collecting, analyzing, presenting, or interpreting data. Um, that, that's how they define it. And that's, that's the one I like, um, and that's most of what I'm talking about here. And so that's actually the definition I want to sort of move forward with. Uh, 
Finally, data. I want to be really clear on what I'm talking about when I say data. I'm not talking about sort of processed or refined or previously analyzed data. I would consider that as a statistic. Um, <clears throat> but I'm talking about what we would consider raw data. So as close to the source as possible. You can think of that as close to the measurement as possible, right? So something that has not been um, analyzed or had any inferences made on it. Right, so generally we're talking about sort of strict numbers and the associated metadata that tells us what those numbers are. Doesn't tell us anything about what those numbers mean. And that's kind of what um, I'm talking about when I say data. And I realize both of these are sort of um, a little bit difficult because they get used in multiple ways. Both the words statistics and data do. So I'm trying to be clear about how I'm using them. So, and this launches then into what I consider a very common misconception about statistics. Um, whenever you bring up statistics in conversation, you always hear this quote, right? Um, lies, damned lies and statistics, right? You hear that all the time. Um, who, who originated that? I found out it was debatable. Mark Twain is who I've always thought said it, but then he said that Disraeli um, is where he got it from. Who knows? Uh, that, I guess we'll find that out in the last day or something but not today. Um, what we're referring to there, I would say, is the numbers themselves or as they're presented. So if you think of the word statistic as a statistic, that could be like the median height of men in America is a statistic. And when I refer to statistics, I'm referring to the discipline of statistics, right? So this, this process of how do we collect the data um, how do we analyze it, and how do we actually come up with the inferences? So <clears throat> that, I would say, is a, a very large misconception. Uh, when, I, when I hear frequently um, <clears throat> that quote, use lies, damn lies, and statistics, it's really a summary for I will believe the numbers I want to believe, and you can believe the numbers you want to believe. Right? That's, that's actually, I would say, what's, what's, what's frequently happening there. Rather than saying, hey, there's this, this process we have for analyzing raw data that comes in. And we can start to sort of organize it away. Um, and there's, there's certain rules that we abide by because we basically prove those rules out over time <clears throat> or um, in, in similar ways that so we develop proofs in math. And that's what we can move forward with as the actual um, interpretation of this data or appropriate way to interpret data. So um, a little bit then about the capability of, of stats, what it can do then right, we're talking about taking a very messy world, a world that's full of variation, and we're talking about trying to figure out how to describe that world in numbers is, is, is sort of one way to think about statistics, right? Um, one of my favorite things is you can look up right, the average height of a male in America fairly easily, right? But you can't necessarily, you're, you're not included in that measurement, right? How many of you guys were included in like the Average, nobody. What a bunch of slackers, right? Um, <laughs> right. So the method by which we get that average, right, is actually a statistical method, right? So it's a way at arriving at a sort of approximation of the truth through how we sample correctly, right? And then quantifying the errors around that, we realize that number will never be perfect, and so what we're trying to do is estimate how much error is associated with that number. And that's kind of what we're doing there. <clears throat> so that to me is the real power of it, is that it allows us to take a very messy world 
It allows us to summarize that world and then actually make some inferences about the world. Right? So <clears throat> take, for instance, um, different treatments in medicine and things like that. So that's kind of on the definition of stats side of things or um, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about statistics. And then I want to so switch over into the, the three reasons I think that we should consider this for liberal arts. Well, I, I said it, liberal arts. I was going to try and avoid saying it. Education. See, now I'm just going to get roasted on the liberal arts definition. Um, <clears throat> you, um, but here's my three sort of reasons. One is sort of a utilitarian argument of just all of the, the broad uses in, in life and in society as you progress through life that you can, that you can make uses of it. Um, <clears throat> this way of thinking. The second is sort of uh, an empirical argument of um, the value of um, just getting no closer to approximating the truth and it being a very um, useful tool for approximating things that are the truth. And then what I'm calling my uh, liberal argument, which is uh, seeing it as a way to free yourself from the experts in a way. It's a, it's a really powerful way that you can think about across a wide range of disciplines and evaluate. You still have to, I think, um, respect each discipline has its own methods. Each discipline approaches um, things in their own way. But you can actually take this tool across so many disciplines and apply it that you actually gain some freedom through, through the use and application. So those are my three kind of uh, general um, positions here. So the utilitarian argument, um, sort of applications in decision-making and strategy is what I would call this. And really thinking from uh, the idea of the breadth of, of areas that you can apply it to. So uh, first starting with sort of personal decisions, <clears throat> um, we can use this to determine you know, the most probable outcome of a number of different choices we might be faced with. I'm really referring to um, decisions that might not have a, a moral implication at this point, right? So um, <clears throat> ones where A or B are maybe equally good choices, um, but we might be trying to optimize for a particular outcome. Uh, one example that's near and dear to me because it was a friend of mine, um, was a, a mentor of mine at Washington State University, uh, was uh, struggling through cancer and actually um, because of his knowledge in research science and definitely statistical methods, was able to challenge some of the treatments that he was undergoing and actually get them changed um, and actually improve uh, his quality of life significantly with some of the medications. Um, so, so that was one where watching it you know, close up, this is how this can make a difference in your life personally, um, being able to actually interact with that base layer peer-reviewed research um, and understand what's really going on there. Uh, decisions at the organization level, these are business strategy decisions. Uh, I would even argue sometimes church strategy decisions. Um, uh, government, you know, this is a libertarian forum, so maybe there's no government. Maybe we all just, um, uh, you know, but, but then you have to think, how's the business going to decide to build the road where it's going to go, right? If, if the government doesn't build roads, what's the best method for the business to decide where the road, road goes? Um, these are all sort of routine decisions that, Collecting data, having a good set method for collecting data, analyzing the data, making a decision, and modeling an outcome are actually useful. <clears throat> um, and, then, and so that's sort of my argument there is that it's very practical and there's a general nature to it. That it's, it's not just for the scientists, it's for all of us living life in personal and organizational decisions. Um, 
<clears throat> so bringing this back to the, the Christian level, if, if we really want to be, a Christian education level, if we really want to be developing leaders in, in, in the arts, in the letters, in the sciences, um, one of the primary jobs, or one of the important jobs, I would say, of a leader is decision-making, right? And there's a number of decisions that should be made with no data input, right? They, they are moral decisions. And we don't, want, we don't want data input in those. There's a number of decisions also that I can, think can value greatly from having data um, be, be brought to bear on them. So that's, that's um, that argument. Um, this sort of empirical argument then, and if you have a better name for it, great. These are just the way I, I, brain, I, I sort of divide it out in my brain. Um, <clears throat> right? Whenever we are in the natural world, whenever we're exploring the natural world, whenever we're trying to derive some sort of truth about the natural world that isn't sort of arguable from, like you can take the physics approach, right, where you're gonna argue things just from the principle. But whenever we're trying to base something on measurement, which is basically anything in biology, right, um, then we have to take into consideration data and data interpretation. So this is sort of um, an argument from the perspective of, <clears throat> we want to be careful stewards of the truth as Christians, right? And so I think we have a few options here. <clears throat> um, one option is to actually not get involved in discussions on truths around data if, if you're not adequately trained, I would say, to interact with them. And I think that's actually a great and valid option. I should, I should emphasize that. But the other option is then to understand the method and to participate in that discussion. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I, I think that a lot of what I see is a lack of understanding about the method and then involvement in it, um, right? So if you think about anything in the world that we can measure, um, one of my, this is just an example, and maybe this is because we're hoping to move to Zambia, um, is you know if, if you take that average um, weight of hippos, we can only achieve it right with the sample. Once again, we're stuck with the sampling idea. So we can't measure every hippo. But if we want to know something about these creatures that God made, Right. If we want to know sort of approximately what a hippo should weigh, what we can do with statistics is we can go out there, we can develop a sampling plan that's representative of the hippo population. We can get an estimated mass of your average hippo. And then the really cool thing that we can do is we can guess from the distribution in, the, in all the samples we took, we can guess where the average really is. So we can assign a, a level of confidence to where that average is. And so I think in this way, it's actually, I see it personally as, as this is continuing on from Genesis, from naming the animals, right? This is one of the ways in which we learn more about creation, in which we get a better understanding of how God made the world. I always say that, you know, um, God made Adam a, a scientist even before he gave him Eve, right? So he, he gave him the, um, the mandate to, to name the animals. So that would be... Um, sort of that approach, um, <clears throat> that, that side of it. Uh, another really favorite example of mine of this that was in popular culture um, is the, the 2016 election of Donald Trump, actually. Um, and that was a really fascinating uh, time for me. I was, I was in grad school. I was, I, was wrapping up, um, I was wrapping up my dissertation and, you know, it was battling through how to analyze my data, and I was watching these polls come in, and, and looking at those and realizing that, that there was this massive bias towards the outcome being for Hillary Clinton at the time, and then looking and assessing the error in the polls, and being like, oh, 
actually, if you look at the just the variation in this poll data, it's it's not a very clean cut thing, right? It was um, the the people that were doing a good job, from my perspective, using the correct methods statistically, were saying there's something like a 28, or no, it's, I think it was 38 percent chance that that um, Donald Trump would win that election, right? Which is no small chance. That's a that's a fairly high chance. But what pe a lot of people took away from that was that was that polling was irrelevant or the polling was bad. Really what you should have taken away from that whole event was not that the polling was bad, but that our understanding of data collection and error analysis as a culture is bad, right? That a really good job at <clears throat> observing the data, at looking at the polls, at looking at the variability, at quantifying the error, and you were something, you know, you were like over one in three chance, right? So um, that you were gonna get Donald Trump out of the election. So, I would say that was, and, and I have a really um, fascinating set of, that's another thing if you wanted, I could give you a set of links on that. Um, and so I think that's a really um, sort of critical thing, and, and that is to sort of point out this is a broader cultural issue than just a church issue. I'm really addressing it in terms of, of the church here. So that would be um, sort of my argument for drawing us close to the truth that can be derived from empirical evidence. Obviously, there's a great number of truths that are not derived from empirical evidence. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there is quite a number that are derived from empirical evidence, um, and that would be another argument why we should really consider this in, in the liberal arts education. Um, I'm just gonna stick with saying liberal arts education, and Dr. McIntosh can hold me over the coals later for what the definition of liberal arts education is. Um, so, um, and then I, I just have to say this, um, since we talked about, um, Jeremy talked about um, kingship of, of humans and, and dominion. And, and this is just sort of a, a, a theme verse for so many Christians who are research scientists, right? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of God to seek, uh, or glory of kings to seek it out. Um, and that, I think, is most scientists I know who are Christians, that's kind of a, a theme verse for them, right? And I think that's probably beyond the sciences. Um, that probably extends to anybody conducting research, whether it's in philosophy or um, letters or whatever it is. But, that God hid secrets for him, and this is for us to find. And this is actually one of the methods we can use to explore and to get closer to understanding what those secrets are and how they work. And so for me, that's part of the joy of it. I don't want to see everybody see like, oh man, we have to engage in this task. This is actually a beautiful and joyful thing where we can explore the world. Okay, finally, um, the argument towards freeing yourself. And this is where um, it, it's, it's basically, I think, we're, we're faced with sort of three choices. <clears throat> we can limit the empirical evidence we're willing to consider to that which is sort of anecdotal, right? What we can experience in person or the experience from trusted people, um, or that which is so generally acceptable, the sun rises, um, <clears throat> that there's not really much variability in it, right? It's, it's something that sort of constantly occurs. Um, Newton, the apple falls every time, no matter how many times I try um, <clears throat> to make it not fall, right? Um, so we, that's option one, is we, we limit what we're going to discuss and what we're going to engage with. Um, option two is that we completely trust on the ability of others to interpret the data for us or to um, engage with the data. We just read their, their inferences um, and we say, okay, these inferences work and I'm going to believe them. So that's option two. Option three, and this is what I'm writing for, is that we arm ourselves with the ability 
to um, basically analyze the data to interpret ourselves. And um, then we use that as an argument, I would say, and this is a liberating argument, right? It frees us from being confined to either relying on anecdote or these sort of um, most <clears throat> maybe just um, givens, non-variable data. I don't know exactly what to call those. And that or, or trust on other folks. So um, in a way, this is a way to become more trustless of, of institutions or specialties, if you want. Um, <clears throat> I'm saying this, I, I realize, in a room with some real specialists. We have like specialists in economics and medicine here, so I'm downplaying the things I have to say about those fields. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm not actually, but. Um, one example of this that I'd really like to bring to our attention um, is a little project that you can run with very little statistical knowledge, and it, it's a really fascinating one. It sort of brings us back to um, the COVID-19 era, which is sort of the inspiration for this talk and also something I want to avoid um, because it's so polarizing. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, how many people died, died during COVID was something that became a really big discussion um, for me. And it was something where I did feel like I saw some, um, maybe not the most honest approaches always being carried out. And so if you don't, I mean, we are, I'm not gonna say we are, I was gonna say we are all libertarians, but I'm not sure I'm a libertarian. But um, there's a lot of libertarians in the room. Let's just say that. Um, there's a lot of libertarians in the room, right? So if we're not gonna trust the numbers that um, are put out by the CDC, right? Are, what are we going to trust? Right. What are we going to come up with? How are we going to determine? Are we just going to say, my grandma didn't die? That's the anecdote approach, right? Or are we going to try and determine how many people died in, in some other way? Right? And, and that's sort of, I think, what we're faced with here. <clears throat> and so what I, there, there's, there's like very, you can really limit your trust in government through basically, right, you can use correlation to correlate local trusted mortuaries with larger databases, and then you can use ideas and probability to determine how improbable the events of 2020 and 2021 and 2022 are, right? And you could actually, if it's, those are very, very, those are like not even, that's like first half of first semester stats. Um, to actually then come up with the probability that these numbers happen, and you, can, and you can start to estimate the magnitude and change of overall numbers without having to trust the coding of the data, right? So there's your advantage. You no longer have to trust the people labeled dead bodies, right? You just have to trust they actually saw a dead body, right? And so that allows you, this is, I think, a great, a really freeing thing because, sure, there's still some trust in that, but you reduced your trust quite a lot by how much trust you had to put in a government institution, right? And then maybe, you know, maybe they're about, you come to the conclusion they're about right, and maybe that ups your trust. But libertarians, I'm sure it won't um, up your trust in government. Um, and so that's, that's kind of uh, what I would say. But, but that is really, that's, I mean, an assignment that um, I had NSA stats students do. It's really, really simple um, sort of project that anybody can approach, and everybody's got a laptop now, so you can easily run that on your laptop. Um, you could probably run it on your smartphone if you have faster thumbs than, than I do. <clears throat> I don't 
But you can look at those anomalies and you can say, you know, was it a 1% chance that many people would die? Was it a one in a million chance, you know, based on previous years of data? So that's, that's sort of the power of it. And, so, and, and once again, I, I say this, um, I really don't want to convey this idea of, oh man, now we have to go study the numbers. I want to say this in a way of like, this sets you free to do some of your own discoveries. Um, and so that's sort of my, my third argument. So utilitarian argument um, just uses the empirical argument, um, drawing closer to truths that are only derivable through this sort of data and interpretation, and the liberal, the, the freeing argument. Um, freeing yourself from expert opinion. I want to say on that, um, expert opinion does have value, I do believe, um, but um, a, a great deal of value. There are many farmers that have trusted me with an expert opinion, and I appreciate them very much. Um, so, uh, but, but I think it is important um, that we do, do our own thinking. That is a, definitely a, a, being a, a, in the heritage of the Reformed Church. Okay, so I have some disclaimers um, at the end of this of things I'm not trying to stay, say. Um, a few things that get associated with the argument that I'm making um, that I, I want to make sure that nobody thinks I'm aligned with. Um, stats is not the end-all, be-all method. Um, stats is basically a way of taking a very messy world and trying to figure out how best we can understand it, right? So it's far from perfect. Um, that... It's actually interesting because stats is very quick, closely tied to the field of modern agronomy. It was really developed um, in, in a way with agronomists, and that's because the dirt, the soil, is messy. It is not uniform. It changes foot by foot. It changes acre by acre. And so how are we going to account for this variation? And so that's, that's sort of where it comes from. Um, so I don't want to argue it's, it's, it's perfect, but the thing it really does a good job at is it does allow us to say, hey, we know there's going to be error. How do we assess this error? How do we estimate this error? So that's what I like about it. Um, <clears throat> and it, it gets infinitely more complex than that. And really, this is, I do tip my hat to the economists um, because they get into the really, um, the really messy methods. Um, there's also another one <clears throat> um, that I would say that there's a, sort of a, a cult uh, around the sciences that's, that can be very dangerous in our culture, um, right, where every decision is just made on, supposedly going to be made just based on data. That's, that's the way we're going to move forward, right? This sort of um, technocracy maybe is the way to think of it. Um, I disagree with that. I think there are moral decisions that are, need to be made very, very often. Um, just be cognizant of whether you have the ability to engage at the data level or whether you just need... or I should just, if you need to stay at the very important um, moral level. I, uh, who else has been playing around with chat GPT, by the way? I promise this comes right. Yeah, everybody, right? It's great fun. Well, who else asked them, like, what the chances of Frodo throwing the ring in the Mount Doom were? <laughs> I made chat GPT gave me a probability on that. It said 5%, so ugh, rough, right? But that was the right decision no matter what, right? Right. There are decisions that no matter how low the probability of success, no matter what you could model for success, the right decision is the right decision. Right? And so I think, I think that's really important for me is that I make sure that <clears throat> I'm not saying this change is right and wrong. I'm saying it helps us make better decisions where there's not necessarily a clear right or wrong. Um, and then the third, and this is sort of an objection for the other side, is that it is over-specialized. 
um, to be considered for general education. And I really hope I made the point that it, it crosses a wide range of, of fields. Um, I haven't quite tied it into the arts. I'll get there um, at some point. But basically, all of the natural sciences, I, I would argue that um, it's probably more core to liberal arts um, education than, than teaching courses such as natural history is like, as dear as they are to me, um, that, that field of study. So that's kind of my, um, my overall thinking on that, right? So if our goal here is um, to shape culture through leadership and business, science, and government, specifically I would say are the three that we can um, really directly say this impacts, um, I would just ask you to consider, you know, whether we call it quantitative reasoning, um, whether we call it statistical methods, or whatever we call it, that we need to think about how are we going to honestly, truthfully, and carefully integrate um, data into our discussions, or are we just going to decide to not integrate it at all? So that's what I see as options. Thank you.